Beautiful songs. Appreciate the beauty of a family that loves Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the presence of your Spirit to speak. And I pray, Lord, save us from misspeaking. And now, Lord, I ask that you'd set a watch before my lips and a guard before the door of my mouth. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would anoint us with understanding and that we would trust you and follow and not be afraid. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Entitled my message this morning, Community Guidelines and the Hammer. And I want to begin with one of our Adventist pioneers. Uriah Smith, writing about James, said, Some have thought that he was deficient in social qualities, sometimes rigid and harsh and unjust, even towards his best friends. But these feelings, we are persuaded, come from a failure to comprehend one of his strongest traits of character, which was his preeminent love for the cause in which he was engaged. To that he subordinated all else. For that he was willing to renounce home and friends. No man would have been more glad than he to enjoy continuously the pleasures of domestic and social life and the engagement of friends had he not thought that the integrity of the cause called him to make and take a different course. But when this was the case, the voice of duty was first and all else was secondary. Some in whose natures this principle is lacking cannot comprehend the actions of a man governed by such motives. But how would any man be fitted without such an element as this in his character to be the conservator of the interest of any cause whatsoever? I want you to ask yourself, what is your level of commitment to truth and truth-seeking? What is your level of surrender to the impress of the Spirit, no matter what the risk involved might be? For indeed, we're living in a very interesting age in which trust in God and resolve of purpose are more needed now than ever. I want to take you on a, a, a little storyline of American culture and history. This is the Marlboro Man. To be more specific, he's the third Marlboro Man. And if you are old enough, you remember a video that we showed at the five-day plan called Death in the West. If it's still out there on YouTube, I'd highly encourage it as a view. Uh, Death in the West, it chronicled all of these Marlboro men and how they perished from the deleterious effects of cigarettes. But of course, we understand that that has been an interesting journey. Of course, when Pastor Joe Reeves was here in one of his messages, he reminded us that at one point in time, cigarette smoking was actually a medical treatment. Now, this is something for all of us to really seriously think about. Now, this is a report on the history of the Surgeon General's um, engagement with smoking and health. It's from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and it reminds us that on January 11, 1964, the then Surgeon General, uh, Luther Terry, made a statement. Now, what's unique about this is that five years before this statement appeared on any cigarette packages, the Seventh-day Adventist were proclaiming freedom from nicotine in advance of the final and cautious confirmation of the Surgeon General. This statement came out five weeks before I was born. So it's 57 years old, but it was five years too late. And we don't know how many people ingested the elements of nicotine poisoning and all the other things that came with it before somebody finally said, you know, there's a problem with this stuff. As a matter of fact, we know now that not only this warning, but much more was known about tobacco before we knew about it. Five ways tobacco companies lied about the dangers of smoking cigarettes. You can look it up yourself. They're there. They had to be cornered legally before they would come clean in regards to what the real truth was. How about Big Pharma, Oxycontin, Purdue uh, denied all all liability or knowledge about what they were doing. In the end, they submitted to a sizable lawsuit and pled guilty 
But this is a pharmaceutical company. And if we go just a little bit uh, farther into the storyline, we find that there's all kinds of ways that people and companies not held in postures of accountability go off the rails. So you might have remembered this ad from Listerine. Uh, this comes from an article in the Hub Post on the eight worst uh, offenders in business in regards to honesty. They asserted that their mouthwash was as good as floss. Well, taken to court, it was determined beyond the shadow of a doubt that was not so. And I've said nothing about Skechers who had these relatively um, common shoes that made you look a little bit like you were barefoot and they said that it helped you burn more calories and tone all kinds of muscles. Well, it was a lie, a lie that cost them $40 million. And how about Snapchat? For any of you that posted anything there that you thought died away into the digital netherlands, well, that's not true. Snapchat actually was sued because it's not true. And they had their own statement, of which I'll read. In a blog post, they said, while we were focused on building, some things didn't get the attention they could have. And one of those was being more precise with how we communicated with the Snapchat community. Well, sorry for all you Snapchatters who still have pictures out there you don't want anybody to see, but you believed what they said, that they would not be seen. Unfortunately, they were. And how about Naked Juice? I might have a bottle of this in my refrigerator at home right now. But they were sued because they stated it was a class action lawsuit. They were using phrases like 100% fruit, all natural, all natural fruit, non-GMO. It turns out that they were actually made with genetically altered soy and PepsiCo had to come clean on it. And how about during the swine flu when Kellogg's came out with this unverifiable and rapidly retracted banner across the bottom of their Rice Krispies that it boosts their immunity of your children by 25%. And for all you women who want to look as pretty as you can look, here's Twiggy, who was 59 years old when Oil of Olay had to retract this ad. Because what they were stating was, was that it had the power to save you at 59 years of age from those crow's feet and wrinkles that sneak up on you over time. The problem was that by European standards, it was illegal for them to Photoshop the wrinkles out of her face, which they did. And Kashi, same kind of thing. The suit alleged that Kossi used synthetic and processed versions of ingredients like priodoxine and hydrochloride and calcium pantothenate, ascorbic acid, sodium phosphate, and soy oil, the latter of which is processed using hexene, a component of gasoline. But what they had said was that it was all natural and nothing artificial. And lastly, fruit roll-ups, which advertise that they're naturally flavored and they're strawberry which don't contain either natural flavoring or strawberries. The Center for the Science and Public Health Interests alleged the fruit snack was in fact made with, and it lists off the things that are left. And here we are, Big Pharma, another pharmaceutical company. Judge finds Merck lied in a patent trial, overturns a $200 million verdict, and this is the details. Merck's dis, uh, misconduct includes misusing Pharmacet's confidential information and, more importantly to the order of the day, lying under oath at deposition and trial. So I'm going to tell you at the beginning of this message what it's about. It's about the fact that when you kill open debate and scientific dialogue, you destroy the process of honest science. Let the truth self-correct in a free market of ideas. And I want to know why physicians that have been impeccably respected over years, called to test before, testify before some of the most important bodies of lawmaking in our society, why they get called conspirators and quacks when companies that have legitimately compromised histories get off the hook in an indemnified environment and accountability is missing. There's something for everybody to be thinking about here. This is America. We believe in the Protestant system of examining ideas without demeaning and character assassinating in ad hominem or against the person argumentation. It's an idea. It's out there to be discussed. And of course, the last on the list, which would be the tops by some people's measures, is Volkswagen, who made 580,000 supposedly clean-burning eco-diesel cars, which were sold here, and it cost them billions, 25 billions in restitutions and fines. 
So you see, friends, in a free society, accountability is important, and we ought to require it. Now, yesterday on my way home to get lunch, I was listening to Here and Now on National Public Radio, which is the first preset for those of you that are concerned that this speaker leans one way or the other, is the first preset on my radio, number one. And I was listening to an individual who was talking about the rapid expansion of the Taliban in this country. You realize the United States is pulling out. At the beginning of the year, the color red is what represents the Taliban's control in Afghanistan. But over the last few weeks, there is this alarming uh, swallowing up of territory, so much so that on here and now yesterday, you can see Kabul right here, the capital of the nation. They use the words noose as a metaphor for representing what's going on with this country. They were interviewing a man by the name of Jim Walsh. This picture also comes from actually yesterday inside the country of Afghanistan. If you notice at the bottom here, Afghanistan's third biggest city after government forces pull out the day before following weeks of being under siege. Now, what caught my attention was this, is that as they were interviewing this man, Jim Walsh, who is with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Security Studies program, they're talking about what a fast-moving story this is and how the Taliban has captured Kandahar and is now into Helmand province and dozens of other cities. 3,000 U.S. troops are sent to evacuate American citizens and U.S. intelligence has been warning that the Taliban could capture Kabul in 30 days. The control of the south part of the country is total. It is a noose that is tightening. And when these things start to crumble, Wall says they can cascade. When people think they're going to lose things, they, they may further accelerate. It's all pointing in one direction, in the direction that people expected. Now, your ears can begin to perk up when you hear those words. 20 years and a trillion dollars. Now, this is no right-wing conspiratorial interview that's going on here. This is just the best effort at getting at facts. And what I'm about to say may not even be exactly true, but it's out there for examination. And so Walsh goes on to quote a stunning report by the Washington Post based on an internal memo that the effort was in trouble years ago and that civilian and military leadership in the U.S. systematically misled the American public, claiming that the war was making progress when it wasn't. So things have been bad for a while. He goes on to say, now I know that's a pretty big accusation to say the government misled the public, but that's what it looks like. Well, you know, folks, I can't tell you if the government misled the public or not. But I can tell you this, in a free society with freedom of the press, that dialogue is a fair one. And as far as I know, nobody's jumping all over Jim Walsh for taking an unverified statement from the Washington Post and bringing it into what appears to be a cascading dis catastrophe in a country that's had thousands of lives lost, or hundreds at least, to protect it. We'll move on. I want to move on to this video. It's a video between Mobin Syed, MD, who is both a King's Edward Med Medical University graduate and also a software engineer with degrees in computer science. Dr. Mobin's unique skill as a physician and software engineer has enabled him to innovate with several products, including things like 3D portable ultrasound systems, etc. On the right is Paul Marek. He's a professor of medicine and serves as the chief division of pulmonary and critical care medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School. His research interests include sepsis and tissue oxygenation. He's a physician who specializes in the lungs. In 2001, Merrick was the author of the Handbook of Evidence-Based Critical Care. It received positive reviews from 2000 to 2006. He was part of the editorial board of the Chess Journal. And in 2005, he was named director at the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care at Jefferson Medical College, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Now, I'm going to take from this hour and 39 minute long video a few quotes which I think are completely pertinent, relevant, and salient to the day in which we're living. He will go on to say that this is probably the most complicated disease we know about. That's COVID, if you're in doubt. 2,000 papers he's examined, exceedingly complicated, and we are learning new things every day. 
So he says, be very skeptical of so-called experts who really think they are understand the disease. Because there is a fundamental concept here. To understand the disease, you have to understand it to treat it. And since it's a complicated disease, we need to be attacking it from multiple fronts. He says one has to have an open mind. These people who have their favorite dogma and hold on to it like it's a religion, we should be led by the best science. Your own team and their work keeps getting censored, Dr. Bean says. How does somebody figure out what's work, what works? And Merrick goes on to say this, science is not perfect. It is self-correcting and self-regulating, but it is based on discussion and exchange of information. And I think what's happening is we are being censored by silencing everybody that has basically terminated scientific dialogue. There's no question that censorship and lack of transparency has been one of the worst parts of the pandemic. Clinicians don't know what to do, and they're confused, and they're confused. If they're confused, you can bet that their patients are confused, and the public's confused, and nobody knows what to do. So what, so what we're up against now is an unprecedented in the history of science. This goes back to the witchcraft and the really prehistoric behavior. Science is based on the exchange of information, and that has been censored. So I think history is going to look back very unfavorably on this period. I think this is a very dark period in the period of history of humanity, the history of science, the history of the press, the history of the freedom of speech, just because of the complete lack of information, of misinformation and disinformation. I mean, it's absurd. It's really absurd. And I don't have time to go into any more of it. So take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them up to the book of First Kings. Now, I watched a video the other day, which some of you may have watched. And while I'm not here to validate the video, I am here to validate the process. And there will be a measure of validation in what I say as a non-medical person, because I'm going to quote a medical person. But it will be up to all of us, especially those of you with some scientific knowledge, to do the fact-checking. But the censorship that blanks out the opportunity for dialogue is completely unacceptable. It is dark and it is evil. The video was sent to me by somebody else. When I got it, it had 1.9 million views. That was Monday night. On Tuesday morning, as I approached Lansing to go to a meeting, it had 3.5 million views. While I was sitting in the meeting with the district superintendents, I get a text that it's been deleted from Facebook or from YouTube. I'm thinking to myself, is what the man said true? Didn't have time to talk with anything, anybody about it. Later on, perhaps even the next day, I was asking a a uh, medical doctor with training in virology, what did you think? Did you see the video? Yes, they had seen the video. What did you think of it? Now, his was not an unqualified affirmation of everything the man said, but he did have somewhat of a legitimating observation when he said, I think it hit the nail on the head. Now, I've watched the fact checkers, and they can fact check it as much as they want to because fact checking is a fact of scientific discovery. Fact check it. At the same time, blanking it out from the scientific dialogue goes contrary to the scientific method. It's time for a community reset. It's time to quit turning the scientists who have impeccable credentials into conspiracists. They are dissenters of the scientific nature, and they must be allowed to do a little bit of dissenting. Now, let me add something into this sermon that is important to understand. We have an event here next Friday night and Saturday. This is not an anti-vaccination event. And so it may disappoint some because you may have aligned yourself with the anti-vaccination ideas of some. I'm quite certain that many here should get the vaccine and all should at least think about it. But as for the process of shutting down debate, this is wrong, dark, antithetical to science, and must be spoken against. But it's not new. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Kings. We'll begin with 1 Kings chapter 16. I want to talk about a man by the name of Elijah. He was a man for his time. He was a man for our time. And in describing John the Baptist, he was a template that could give understanding to what was going on in Jesus' time. In 1 Kings chapter 16, 
we find that the nation of Israel is in trouble. It's been a long time since the prophet spoke to Jeroboam, and Jeroboam reached out his arm, and his arm withered. But there's a little bit of a memory in the mind of Ahab, who is of that lineage, both in governance and in ancestry. Verse 29 of 1 Kings 16, Now Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It's important for us to stop and realize something here. Ahab has no system of checks and balances. Ahab has total control. It is a monarchy. It is not a democracy. And Ahab will move the community standards farther the wrong way than anybody else has done up to this point in time in the history of Israel. And he's doing it. This is a serious moment. This is a time when all Israelites who sought to live by their understanding of a religion that actually obeyed the second commandment in regards to idol worship finds itself under the peer pressure and the cult of cultural conformity. The community standards are always changing. I could prove it to you. I will prove it to you. I wish I had it with me. I, I forgot it this time too. I have a blue bag in the back room and in that blue bag I have two items of clothing. One is made out of denim and it has a bunch of holes in the front of it and a bunch of ragged pieces of cotton hanging off and I mean the holes are big. When my mother-in-law was a girl you would never be caught dead wearing that in public because it would just prove that you were poor and a lot of people were. But now it's a sign of being rich, better off at least, and chic and in. Also in that bag, I have a, a, a black pair of spandex. I almost hate to call them clothes. Uh, again, even in my day, these things were what we called long underwear. But now they are complete and total outerwear. And talking to all women who have ever read the admonition of Peter to deport yourself modestly, they ought not to be worn in public unless something's worn over them. I can accept some silence. You know, community standards change. Marriage doesn't mean what it used to mean. And being a boy and a girl doesn't mean what it used to be. We start going down through a list and we see that pornography is ravaging the male and sometimes female mind. Video violence has desensitized people to where mass murder becomes almost a repeating ad nauseum experience to our society. The church is weak, so capitalism is out of bounds. Truth is falling in the streets. And Romanism has linked with American governance in the last 10 years in ways we never would have imagined. I'm telling you, times are a-changing and community standards are a-changing. Elijah's day is no different than our day. That's why we're called to an Elijah message which is going to create problems. Let's go to the next verses, verses 32 and 33. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him until God sent a man to reset the power balance and recalibrate the community standards. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, there is a no-name prophet who appears on the scene, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead. And he said to Abraham, I can see it from the children's storybook I read to my children over and over again. As the Lord God liveth, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these, these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Kira. God has the ability through divine direction and through divine intervention to recalibrate the community standards. Now, I want everybody here to be really careful that you're not moving by fear 
in this hour of earth's history. I got a text from somebody that I genuinely love and appreciate, and I think if they were to stop and think about it, they might not send it exactly the way they did. While their concern is legitimate, the text really was not. And it was sent to me while I was sitting in a meeting, and it said, beware of people who overstate their credentials. Liars lie. Think Ravi Zacharias, and then he said, think someone else. Now listen, Ravi Zacharias, if you don't know who he is, was a major apologist. That doesn't mean he went around saying, I'm sorry for being a Christian. It means he went around standing up for the Christian paradigm or way of looking at life. Unfortunately, when Ravi Zacharias died, it was discovered that he was not a very moral man. How sad. But what I would say is this, is that in spite of his immorality, the truth he proclaimed is not untrue. And in regards to the other person in my text, we'll just have to see. And so to this text, which I think was not wisely thought out, I responded, we will have to see. But the American way and the Protestant way and the Adventist way, and if I was sending it today, I'd add the scientific way, is to put the ideas out on the table and let them be discussed. And so when we start demeaning and demonizing, when we start ad hominem, which means against the person argumentation, especially when we have people that are testifying before the highest legislative bodies in the nation, we might have attached ourselves a little bit too much to the prevailing narrative, which in the day of Elijah was wrong and could turn out to be wrong today. It just might happen. In chapter 17, verse 2, it's going to require Elijah to trust in God. So he runs away, and God gives him a position in the wilderness where he doesn't have to see a single person. That must have been very comforting for Elijah, whom I imagine had the same proclivities to fear and the battle for faith, insecurity, and worry, that as he became persona non grata, as he became the enemy number one of the state, that he just needed to be out from under the eyes of his fellow citizens in Israel. But you know what happens? Eventually the brook Kareth dries up. And the birds quit coming. And now what does he have to do? Listen to me, folks. Your journey in the future will have provision from God to take care of whatever levels of fear and insecurity you've brought to that moment in life. But if you've clung to those insecurities with complete human engagement and human provision, and you've never gotten out of the box to take a step of faith, this is going to be a really tough future for you. Elijah was given by God in the first stage of his deliverance just what he needed. Seclusion, food, no messing with human beings. But in the second half of his journey, he had to go out into public and do something risky again. You're not getting out of this journey without taking some risk. You better take them whenever God lines them up for you in your ordinary life. It might be a wife talking to a husband or a husband to a wife or, a, or an employer to a boss. But nobody, by God's good care, is, not, is going to come to the future trauma without a little coaching to be worked up and ready. Not worked up as in a frothing mouth, but as intoned spiritually and strong in faith. Elijah has to go see a woman who's gathering sticks for her last meal. She's going to be tested too. And by the way, you remember from back in the beginning of the pandemic when I preached a series on crisis, confidence in crisis. This was one of the first sermons, and I reminded you that Elijah is the most preeminent prophet for whom food and miracles of food are associated and provided. So your bread and water will be sure, just as his started out that way. But if you have to change the game up somewhere along the way, it'll be okay, because that lady needed a testing of her faith too. Provide the prophet with your last meal. And the prophet asked for it. And you know what? God's provision is always with God's people. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Trust the Lord and nobody will be able to stand against you. Elijah passed the test there and so did the widow. The stakes were high. Go to 1 Kings 18. Let's go to the top of Mount Carmel now. We're going to skip over the rest of the story. Verse 16. We come to the top. Well, we're not quite to the top yet. Verse 16, so Obadiah went out to meet Ahab and he told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So Elijah's coming out of hiding. The culmination is near. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now I want you to make sure you don't just read over that uh, carelessly. 
the narrative of the nation has been Elijah is the enemy, when in reality, Elijah was the best friend of the nation and the mouthpiece of God. Nothing has changed. The devil knows how to align our desire to be safe and secure in community and weaponize it against us. But Elijah's not having it. Verse 18, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, I don't want you to miss here some really important details. The stakes are very, very high. The quote in your bulletin will show you that when Ahab came out to meet Elijah, he came with a bunch of soldiers. He was afraid. I want you to know what the book of Philippians says. The absence of your fear is proof of the perdition of your enemies. And I want you to understand that perfect love casts out fear and that God's people will never make it if they take all the baggage of their fears into today and the future. Now you bring the fears you have and you offer them to Jesus because David said, what time I am afraid, I'm going to trust in God. So I'm as real as you are. I don't come to this pulpit and I don't come to these events and I don't come to my interactions with people of strong place, position, and mind without any of my own inner challenges. But every time I face one of them, I'm a little bit more ready for the next. And every time God says, all right, Ron Kelly, you've been secure like that, but it's time for a little bit of spiritual exercise. Every time I follow him, I come out the other side, just like I used to when I would go running. Oh, I don't want to go running. But when I got done running, I always said to myself, I'm so glad I went running. Nothing's changed. The spiritual exercising of your lives is no different than the discipline of your physical body. And this morning, I want you to understand that in the back of Ahab's mind was the fact that God was really with this man and he remembered Jeroboam and the withered hand. I want you to know God can place limits on the enemies of truth and the enemies of his people and he does it. But I also want you to understand all of these prophets are eating at Jezebel's table. They're false prophets. They're never going to speak up to Jezebel. They're never going to speak up to Ahab. They're taking their food and their fare from the dark side. And the only people you can really trust are people who at some level are willing to at least put their face into the wind a little bit every once in a while. And if you can't ever put your face into the wind, what kind of conscience and what kind of convictions uh, constitute the corpus or the body of who you are? We're living in an age when people are just going to fall over at the breath of the devil, let alone put on the warfare to go to battle. So go ahead and be humble and courteous. Do justly love mercy and walk humbly. But understand this, nothing has changed. There is nothing new under the sun. But the difference is, is that in a free society with a free press and a belief in true science, we believe both sides should be able to be discussed. No ad hominem, no character assassination. So if Dan Stock wants to be on YouTube for six minutes of infamy or fame, whatever it turns out to be, let the fact checkers check him into oblivion. I'm all for it. That's his right. And it's your right to watch it if you want to. And of course, there is some level of screening. We don't allow child pornography, etc. But the difference is, is that our current scenario dealing with the COVID pandemic is being scrutinized from a growing number of individuals who are not quacks and conspiracists. They are loyal dissenters to the pursuit of truth. And to name them something else is ad hominem against the person argument and an attempt to destroy the dialogue that protects science and you and me. Lightning comes down. Thunder claps. There is a simple prayer, and I want to look at it. Verse 36 of chapter 18. Probably, aside from the prayers of Jesus, the most favorite prayer of mine in the Bible. Verse 36 of chapter 18. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, it's been a whole day affair. O Lord, this is the prayer. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Today, he's got two requests on the front side of this prayer. Let it be known that you are God in Israel 
and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Inside the heart of any person that chooses the spirit of truth over the defamation of conformity culture, there is an absolute need that God himself will somehow, someway, exonerate in time. Every preacher who stands in the pulpit, every employer or employee who decides that some things are beyond the reasonable purview or permission of the said relationship, must have something deep down inside of them that finds its, its establishment in the cornerstone of Christ, his precepts and his principles. You don't have a day to spare where you don't read this book. You don't have a day to lose in which you don't talk to the creator, redeemer, restorer, protector, and deliverer who went to the cross for you. You don't have a moment when you don't want the sweet, beautiful presence of Jesus to be with you. And sometimes on his behalf, you will experience exactly what he said. You will be persecuted, spoken evil of, maligned and derided for my name's sake. Part of that pursuit is the protection of truth. And it doesn't matter whether it's law or business or medicine or theology, open dialogue is, for humans, the safest, best way. This is where we're at. Lightning and thunder came down, but that's not rain. So Elijah goes out to the top of the mountain and he puts his knees on the ground and his head, his forehead in the dust. And he prays once and there's nothing. And he prays again and there's nothing. God allows him to petition him seven times so Elijah knows the storyline's not you. I am the Lord, Isaiah says, I will not give my glory to another, not even Elijah. But the scriptures also say those who honor me in 1 Samuel, I will honor as well. And on the seventh prayer, the token, not the reality, appears. It's a little cloud. And by the way, friends, that same symbol will be a different kind of deliverance not too long from now for us. A little cloud. An amazing downpour. An 11 mile run down the side of a mountain back to Samaria. A gracious prophet leading the steeds. And a report to the queen. But she only got the memo. She wasn't at the meeting. And I don't know if being at the meeting would have changed anything. And so she sends a memo, 19, chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. I mean, servant couldn't keep up. Now, I want to say something. Over the last two to three weeks, I've engaged more people in fierce conversations than any point in time in my ministry since I've been your pastor at this church. And I want to thank every individual that's written me a letter, taken time to come see me, called me on the phone, whatever the case may be. My best friends and people who practice Christianity the right way follow Leviticus 19, 17, and 18 that says, hold no grudge in your heart, speak frankly with your brother, and love your neighbor as yourself. We leave off the first part most of the time and only grab the soundbite from Jesus. But he captured it all. And Matthew chapter 18, it's to be worked out cellularly. Less assumption and presumption and a little more commitment to the elements of honest dialogue, and we'll be a whole lot more together. Mistakes were made. Verse 4, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better 
than my father's. Now, if you've never been a leader, and if you've never carried the emotional weights of being a mother or a father, a teacher, a policeman, a pastor, a businessman, a doctor, whatever it might be, everybody gets some leadership experience. But I want to assure you, there is an emotional there is an emotional baggage attached to leadership that some people will never understand. Elijah, for three and a half years, had been largely absent of words of affirmation, ordinary communion and fellowship. He had no community, but very small. But Elijah was a man thick with God, surrendered to his will and obedient to his directive. And Elijah thinks at the end of fire and rain that nobody can remain intransigent, resistant to fact. But she does. The death threat puts him over the top. He runs faster than probably his younger mentoree. And he says, God, it's one day too many. And God lets him fall asleep and feeds him two times. And in those two meals, he goes 40 more days down to Mount Sinai. They call it Horeb in this part of this, the Bible, but they're the same mountain. When he gets down there, there's a wind, there's a fire, and there's an earthquake. Dramatic. Kind of like being up on Mount Carmel. Kind of like watching the rain fall after three and a half years of drought. But the Bible says God was not in any of those things. And then a still small voice. And I want to affirm the message of a fellow local pastor, Ben Martin, as I listened to him preaching on this subject. And he said, you know, you only whisper under two conditions. One is you don't want anybody else to hear. And two, my paraphrase of what he said, it's an intimate form of communication. You've got to get really close to somebody to do it. And it says, I'm right here. God didn't listen to his complaining very well. He pointed him back. But mistakes were made. And in the middle of the biggest Reformation moment in Israel history, the leader abandons the cause. When you go to do something that has dare and risk in it, there might be a few mistakes made along the way as well. Which one of our former presidents basically said, it's not the people on the sidelines that really set things up, it's the people in the arena who sweat and dare. The drama only lasts so long, and then he's told to go back, and he's told about the kings he's to anoint, and more importantly, about the man that's going to follow him. His name is Elisha. In other words, I not only have 7,000 others, but I have leaders to step in. You've done a good job, Elijah, but you're done. We started with James White. As I start coming to a conclusion, I want to start... I want to end with him. My life has been given to the upbuilding of these institutions. It seems like death to leave them. They are as my children, and I cannot separate my interests from them. These institutions are the Lord's instrumentalities to do a specific work. Satan seeks to hinder and defeat every means by which the Lord is working for the salvation of men. I, uh, the great adversary, if the great adversary can mold these institutions according to the world's standard, his object is gain. It is my greatest anxiety to have the right men or women in the right place if those who stand in responsible positions are weak in moral power and vacillating in principle, inclined to lead toward the world. There will be enough who will be led. Everybody here ought to be saying to yourself, would I be in that group of sheeple? Evil influences must not prevail. I would rather die than live to see these institutions mismanaged or turned aside from the purpose for which they were brought into existence. The last point I'll make this morning 
in regards to Elijah is that even after Elisha took over, it took a whole lifetime and the reform still wasn't done. Now, I've been at least two times to Wittenberg and I've put my hands on the bronze doors that have the 95 theses on them. And I've watched the black and white Neil McGinnis version of Martin Luther over and over and over for solace, for strength, pretty accurate to history. And I've seen him so many times walk up to that door, which is no longer wooden, pound his 95 theses onto the door, fling the hammer over his shoulder, turn around, and walk off. I'm here to tell you that while his ideas were incubated in some form of academic dialogue, they were primarily the concept of a relationship with God through his word to bring light to a dark period of earth's history. I want you to know the hammer's going to ring again. The hammer rang on Calvary. Jesus refusing to be a part of the conformity that the church, which used the government to destroy his life, Jesus stood up as respectful as possible, always with desire for reconciliation. But he rejected the culture of conformity, and we must as well. It is time for Adventism to recapture its high ground. Where are those religious liberty-endowed individuals who have the ability to defend people who actually have a conscientious conviction that their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And it's not the right decision for them no matter what their employer says. Conviction is a sacred and rare personal thing. It is not determined by the community, and the community will not be held accountable. The individual will be. Where is our health message in the midst of this health crisis? Will we continue to recede into the shadows and become more of the tail and less of the head? I want to praise the Lord for the efforts of this church, its physicians and medical people and lay people. I'm here to tell you, community guidelines are changing. Morality is almost dead in the street. Freedom of the press is under assault. And the scientific method is the latest to be sieged. And how many people, formerly preeminent and respected in their field, are we going to allow to be labeled quacks and conspirators before somebody says, hold your horses? Not going along with the narrative has always been in the best interest of the final discovery of truth. And if it is the most complicated disease we've ever seen and we're learning new things every day, it might be very, very advantageous to throw the floodgates of information to flow freely between the NIH, the CDC, all the local doctors on the ground, which have taken a Hippocratic oath. And if it's l legitimate to use drugs for their off-label purposes because you've taken an oath to save life and you know about efficacy and safety. Why have we held the governor down on these things? Quit labeling their videos dangerous, but when they are, you can label them however you want, but quit blanking them out. Fact check them into oblivion. But this kind of censorship is another sign of the end, and it is completely evil. The time is coming when those who stretch out their hands against the men of truth will experience the vengeance of God. Until then, it's time to do and dare. We are on the precipice of an implosion of the Protestant pursuit of truth, a republic form of governance with protection for the minority, scientific discovery, and the Adventist way. Yes, community standards have changed. The scientific process itself is under siege. The light is going out. And it's a call, this sermon, this message, the Word of God, the life of Elijah, to every honest scientist and medical practitioner, to every preacher and politician, to every parent and teacher, lest we return to pre-Protestant times. My last slide is an earlier rendition of an evolution of censorship. In 2019, you didn't get the message you get today. I've never gotten the message before, but my secretary went to look at said video. And when she went to look at it, up came 
white words on a black screen. But before there were white words on a black screen, you just got a black screen. And you heard somebody, probably with an AI voice, but it sounded British or Australian, come on and say the words. Six seconds long. This video has been removed by violating YouTube's community standards. Listen, friends, YouTube's is a private company. They can censor all they want. But it might be a little bit like AT&T was before it was broken up. It might be that there's some dialogues of litigation and legislative process about how much control a social media platform should have over what is one of the few almost monopoly dynamics of dialogue in the social media space. Nonetheless, this is still a free society. This video has been removed by violating YouTube's community guidelines. The message is slightly different now. One last word, rugged individualism. I want you to understand something. Rugged individualism is a rare and endangered species created by a fatherless home and conformity culture. It takes dads to put a little bit of spine in the sons and the daughters that are raised. Not that mothers can't and don't do it, but it is a more typical role for a father to challenge with a little bit less emotional connectedness. Rugged individualism is no longer the cultural norm of our day. And it just so happens that for the generation for whom it was more normative, many of them should seriously consider the vaccine, but some of them are the most vociferous against it. Our children go around with the stamp of concern and fear, and yes, sometimes consideration as the narratives so declare for other people. The last part is very admirable. The first part ought to be something every parent is concerned about. And I leave you with these words in regards to the dynamic of the community versus the individual. In the book of Isaiah, this is what it says. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's for every individual who has to individually decide what it is God is saying to them in a free society from the scriptures and an open relationship in prayer. Yes, friends, if nobody stands up and says anything, even empirical science can surrender to the voices of the mom. It's time for every individual who believes in freedom of conscience, freedom of liberty, and the pursuit of truth to say so and not leave the few who put their faces into the wind to bear the brunt of where our society has gone. God forgive us. God help us. And may we be the most noble, dignified people on the face of the planet. And may the sound of the hammer hitting the nail on the head yet ring. Amen and amen.